The KM Community Podcast, bringing you stories from Kent's communities every week. Hello and welcome to the KM Community Podcast. I'm your host Oliver Kemp and I'm here to find the stories and issues at the heart of communities across the county. If you have a story you think needs to be told, just use the hashtag KMCommunity on social media or you can email me at okemp at thekmgroup.co.uk. This week, as we near the halfway point of Black History Month, one charity is working hard to empower the black men and women of North Kent. The Medway African and Caribbean Association, or MACA, was set up in the 1980s as a way of doing exactly that, and since then it's become a voice for people in the area. Carol Stewart, the chairperson of MACA, joins me today to talk about how recognising young black achievers in the community is so important, the need to teach black history in schools and bias in the police force. The KM Community Podcast. So Carol. Hello. Welcome to the KM Community Podcast. (laughs) Hi, welcome. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, So tell us a little bit about how how MACA began. Uh, Crikey, it started off in um, the front room um, almost 35 years ago now this year. Um, and it's sort of, I don't know if you know much about sort of what they call the Windrush sort of generation, um, which obviously was 30 odd years before then. But I think there was um, a significant number of people from the African and Caribbean community that moved here to, to Medway initially and felt very kind of isolated and wanted to um, sort of like engage, socialise with each other. Um, I think like many black organisations, they started out in somebody's front room just as a means of just getting together, having a safe space, you know, um, meeting with friends, having a drink, having a game of dominoes, um, strategising about various things and just trying to find their way in life, really. Um, Yeah, so it started out at House in Gillingham and uh, it's kind of grown from there, really. They were contacted by representatives from Medway Council who wanted to find a way to engage with the sort of black community around the issues that were impacting on on the local authority at the time and looking at some of the plans they were making. Um, and over the years, it's grown. Um, so obviously, we're a charity now. We've been a charity for quite a number of years. And um, we formed a charity, not just because it provides access to funding, but I think it, it kind of broadens the scope, enables us to have a bit more structure because we were just like a voluntary organisation before. Um, So it's all run by volunteers. Uh, We don't have any paid staff. And I think when people see the things that we do, they think there's about 40 or 50 of us and a big, massive building. And actually, we we don't have our own space. We have a drop-in that meets every Tuesday at the Sunlight Centre from 1 till 4, and that's in Gillingham. Um, And we kind of get a lot of support from the local authority, uh, from the college, Mid-Kent College, University of Kent, University of Creative Arts, Chatham Historic Dockyard, the arts team, Black Workers Forum, and so many different organisations have kind of reached out to us because they want to engage, like Kent Police as well. Um, we were instrumental in forming the independent advisory group, you know, with a number of other people who were act as like sort of critical friends. I remember when I first moved to Kent, I've been in Kent, you can hear a slight accent, Wolverhampton accent. (laughs) Um, So when I first moved here 19 years ago, and I think not long after I I arrived here, there was a a murder um, of a young man in in, uh, Sheerness, um, Christopher Ananimi. And 
we were invited to um, be critical friends because I think at the time it was it was creating a lot. There was a lot of racial tension around the, around the crime. It was obviously a, a race related um, murder. So out of that, and I think at that time, um, obviously from the McPherson report, one of the recommendations was to have a group of critical friends. So we were involved in setting up the sort of um, the Kent Independent Advisory Group, and I was chair for a number of years. Um, and I got involved in Macca more or less as soon as I got here, you know, just basically just kind of starting out, going to some of the, we used to have social activities at the King Charles Hotel. Um, and then um, we had like a Saturday school, it was a Sankofa Saturday school, um, which is about kind of like reclaiming your roots. We used to have African dancing, um, we had arts and crafts, uh, we went to an African village in Hertfordshire as well, and we taught the children. And it was children from all races and all ages um, about African and Caribbean history. Um, we felt that was important because I think certainly moving here from, from the Midlands and I think like for many black families that come from very diverse communities, when you come to Kent, your initial sort of um, view is that it's not very diverse. And going into, um, you know, sending my children to school, um, black history wasn't really taught then. And and I remember, um, I think the one year, we uh, managed to get an, an invite to go and meet the Reverend Jesse Jackson. And when um, my daughter and her friends went to school the next day, because it was all over the media, you know, this group of young kids from Medway get to meet, you know, an icon. Yeah, it's a big deal, yeah. It was a big deal, yeah. We, we, um, I can't remember which, which TV station it was, but yeah, but it was all, all over the news. And... Um, they went to school the next day and they says, oh, we met Jesse Jackson. And the school was like, oh, is he one of the Jackson Fives? You know, they didn't know who he was, uh, which I think was quite sad because we, what we've recognised was that, and this has been the same, I think, for centuries in schools, that when people are learning about black history, it tends to be about slavery and oppression and they don't hear about the, the many significant achievements. It ends up being a focus on the Exactly, negative. yeah. So, um, and... So it's kind of grown um, over the years, really. And you guys, because obviously it's been a year now since you put on Black History Live. Yes, which, which yeah. It was, it was a series of events throughout Medway and, and kind of there surrounding There was, yeah, over areas. three years, yeah. And and that felt like you had Untold Stories, which was the exhibition at the dockyards. It was, yes. Um, and that felt like a, that, that was like a big celebration and trying to get, Oh my God, get, yeah. You know, not just people who are in the African and Caribbean communities, but people outside Everybody, of it Everybody, yeah. Um, I mean, what kind of reactions did you get from people who were attending that event? Oh, it was just been amazing because I, um, on my Facebook, I, I got a reminder about it, you know, a year ago, and I was like, oh, I really miss it. I want to do it again. <laughs> um, but yeah, but that was three years in the making, and obviously we had other events leading up to the the penultimate one, which was the exhibition. So we had the play, um, Black Heroes of Kent. Um, we had an online resource which the uh, young people from Rochester. Grammar and Mid Kent College helped to create. To create. Um, we had a documentary um, which UCA um, sort of uh, created as well. Um, it was absolutely amazing. So that took place over three years. And then the exhibition itself, um, it was just every time like we went there, I mean, if you can imagine, we're a very, very small charity, as I was saying. So to go and see that exhibition, I kept thinking, oh, it's somebody else's that I'm coming to see, because I'm thinking, did we really do this? It's like, you know, because it was just something out of this world. I mean, the, the team at Circus, um, who were the creative team, 
what they did to create such a masterpiece, honestly, I, I don't know how they, you know, my hat goes off to them. But we had people there from literally all over the globe. You know, I think there were thousands and thousands of visitors and we had some fantastic comments like, you know, this is amazing. And I, I feel a sense of pride and I learned so much about history and I didn't know um, about these families. And um, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was it was a fascinating experience to to be involved in shaping it and to and to see people's reactions and to see the, the, the diversity of people as well, young, not so young, black, white, you know, everybody really, really enjoyed it. And as you said, it's like a, it is like a celebration. It is, yeah. And I think what we wanted to do cause, is to capture exactly what it was, those untold stories, because I say we always hear about the negative things. We always hear about, um, you know, the negative images in the media and what we wanted to do was to change it, was to paint a different picture to say, well, you know, when, whenever you were sitting in your in your car at the traffic lights, do you realise it was a black person? And people say, well, why is it important? And it's important because we want young people to have a sense of achievement, you know, to have a sense of, of positive aspirations that, that these are, these are, there are people that look like you that have done some amazing things. And also, I think for... Um, for the wider community, like the you know the white European community, to actually um, challenge their uh, stereotype and to challenge their perception about who's done what in society and who's done and who's contributed towards you know this wonderful place that it that is that is Britain, and and I think the exhibition achieved that. You know, when you look at some of the heroes um, that that we that we learn about, I mean, and also you know Palm Cottage in in Gillingham. There was a goddaughter of Queen Victoria. She actually, you know, uh, adopted a, a young African woman, you know, saved her from getting killed. And all of those stories, I didn't know. It's an amazing I, story, yeah. Well, I've driven past Palm Cottage hundreds of times, you know, I didn't even know what, really what it was. I just thought it was just some social club. But actually, really, it was the home of somebody that was connected to royalty. Mm. Um, so it's things like that. And we, we just wanted to open people's eyes and ears to a different picture of history and that we're not just black in October, that we're black all year round and there's so many amazing things that we've achieved. Do you think um, the fact that you've got such a great reaction from all sorts of different people, all mm. walks of life, do you think that that means that perhaps we need to have a rethink about what we are teaching in schools and that we need to reincorporate, or not reincorporate, but incorporate oh, black history definitely. into our education system? Definitely, definitely, definitely. And I think, you know, there was a school, which again, you know, without going over it, but they... Um, did a history lesson that uh, they did a slave auction reenactment and we did a lot of work with them after that to kind of look at redressing re, um, um, black history but also not just history I think the whole curriculum um, so having conversations around you know when you're teaching English literature talk about some black authors when we've got Floella Benjamin you know there's so many different authors um, that have written books that you can incorporate into the curriculum when you're teaching about science and maths and biology just broaden the the people that you're talking about so that that everybody doesn't just grow up thinking well it's only white people that have done this actually you know we've, we've done so much more um, and that we're not just 
good at sports and, and music and the arts, but actually we've achieved so many different things. Do you think that, that's like a criticism, like almost like a legacy criticism that um, the Western canon, as some people call it, and you talk yeah. about the Western canon of literature mm. created by uh, white middle-class men yeah. who, who only decide to include very certain specific authors exactly. and that has a knockdown effect to it our does. education system. So yeah. hope, uh, you know, hopefully with things like the events that you, you put on and, and Black History Month and things mm. like that, then there will be a knock-on effect to hopefully incorporate some of those some of those Definitely. histories and legacies. Yeah. I mean, like next year, for example, um, it's, it's, it's two significant milestones next year and we kind of already know which one's going to get more prominence. So next year, it's the 150th anniversary of the death of Charles um, Dickens and it's also the 150th anniversary of the death of, um, of William Cuffey, who was a Chartist. So we've been having conversations with Medway Council about, you know, you really need to do something to recognise this impo- other important person, not just Dickens. So um, they're quite keen to do something. So we started conversations last week. Um, you know, people that want to get involved, they can get in, they can get in contact with us uh, through our website. Um, but yeah, but we're kind of, you know, wanting to make sure that, that Cuffy and others like him um, you know, Adolphus Brown, who, who was who was a hero. You know, he saved people at the, from a, a massive explosion in in Woolwich in a factory. Because that was part of Kent at the time. So we just want to have equal significance and um, play to some of the other characters in history and present day, as we do um, Dickens. Yeah. This is about rewriting that. It is, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and of course, as you said, it's, it's currently Black History Month. Yes. And as part of your work as 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 Maka, you have the Young Black Achievers Awards. Yes. So I know your nominations closed last week, and the events taking place at the, the end of the month. The twenty sixth of October, Mid Kent College. Yes. So the awards awards been running for fourteen years now. Um, you know, I think in the first year we ran it, um, there was mixed reaction, and I think it was mainly, well. It was mixing so much as I think some people didn't understand why we're doing it. You know, what about white young people? I said, well, actually, you know, white young people get recognised all the time. You know, you have like you the Triangle Awards and stuff. And I think back then, not many black young people were getting recognition. And also, our young people were experiencing challenge and discrimination and racism, issues around self-esteem and confidence. So we wanted to do something that gave them a boost. Um, over the years, we've we've gone into prisons as well, where we've got young people that have received custodial sentences that are trying to turn their life around. Um, so we've we've recognised those those young people there. So um, we've given out must be nearly three hundred awards, I think, in in the fourteen years. Um, so yeah, we're really excited about, and we've had some amazing headline acts. We've had like like Junior Giscom, we've had Angela Marr. Uh, we had a, an artist from America as well, from Sounds of Blackness, and yeah, it's just it's it's a great community event for everybody to come along. And um, over the past few years, we've broadened out the categories. So when my daughter was alive, she, um, along with some friends, set up Young People United, um, and that was funded through Starbucks. We had a lot of support from the Arts Theatre Medway Council. And that was to bring young people from different walks of life and different diversities together to celebrate uh, um, their achievements. So they had an event at Mid Kent College in 20, uh, 2014, I think it was, um, which was which was amazing. And um, yeah, so when she died the uh, following year, the young people wanted to do something to honour her memory. 
Um, and the fact that she was such an inspiration, you know, her, her friends were like the United Colours of Benetton, is what I call them. Um, so they wanted to do something to recognise the fact that she was a, a natural leader, she was an inspiration, but also to recognise young people who were championing diversity in the community. So that's, so the, that's where the YPU Awards was born. Um, so the Diversity Awards, again, we get people nominated who've made a significant contribution towards championing diversity. And then the Inspirational Award is from young people, you know, about another young person. Um, and then we had the Windrush Awards, which was launched last year. Yeah, so to, this to will be the second year second of the Windrush Awards, right? Um, to, to recognise people from the Windrush sort of like generation or who've contributed towards recognising the Windrush generation. And MACA also gives out honorary awards as well to people who we feel have raised the profile of sort of black people, their contribution across Kent and Medway as well. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's an exciting event. And then we get, me and Trish get a chance to do our crazy thing on stage. So, yeah. <laughs> a bit of dancing, I hope. We're a bit of a double act. You know, people have compared us to, what are those people on Britain's Got Talent? I've forgotten their name now. Do you know what you're asking the wrong person, Carol? Yeah. I don't think I've watched a single episode. Yeah, but they they, they compared, they said, oh, we're better than, that's the Anton Deck. They said, we're better than Anton Deck. Oh, Anton Deck, Deck yes. Yeah, yeah. they said, well, you're funnier than Anton Deck. You know, I said, oh, you know, it's just, we just make it up as we go along. It's a good review, better than Anton Deck. Exactly, yeah. A lot of people coming yeah. along. <laughs> um, I mean, speaking of, of Windrush, um, mm. obviously we're now well over a year on since the Windrush yeah. scandal and, mm. and um, Rudd resigning from the cabinet. Yeah. Do you think enough has been done by the government to rectify the situation or, or is can a situation like that even be rectified is this more of a systemic issue i think it is i you know i don't think enough has been done to rectify it there are still people who i know haven't come forward and won't because they're fearful that they're not going to meet the criteria you know to get their length of stay i mean they were children you know for crying out loud when they came over here you know their parents answered the call from actually from enoch powell to come here and I think everyone tends to forget that um, you know and it's funny that you know Amber Rudd resigned but then she she was brought back in and I think you know because certain people needed certain votes in order to keep their seat um, so yeah I mean I think you know major significant compensation I think is due I know people that have been kicked out of the of the country um, you know with health conditions so I think the people are still suffering Um I just, I really don't think there's enough to be done, but I think it is, you know, systemic of or representative of a uh, an environment, an uncomfortable environment that we're living in now, you know, with the whole Brexit situation, the whole Windrush situation, what's going on in America. Um, it just feels a, an uncomfortable place right about now. I think for the past few years, I think before, during and after the referendum, it's just felt horrible, you know, um, and it's kind of taken, I think, some of us back to a time that we wanted to forget, you know, in terms of the, the, the overt racism. It just seems to be rearing its head again. Yeah, it feels like that there's an increase of intolerance and you think, oh, for, I mean, because of your position, you're mm. almost like a spokesperson for communities that yeah. are not always talked about. No. Um, do you really feel that there has an intolerance that has crept in over the last few years? Um, it's not so much, I, don't, I prefer not to use the word intolerance because I think it, it assumes that there's something that people need to tolerate. I think it's more so much about acceptance and understanding and appreciation and um, people um, 
reliving or revisiting stereotypes that they had about certain groups of people. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, it's 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 been a difficult time and a very challenging time. And, you know, when you're walking down the road and, you know, the day after Brexit, people saying, what are you still doing here? And getting called the N-words, you know, because I, I used to live on the island and I remember when I was going to vote and uh, walking past the some people and they were shouting at their balcony the n-word you know quite loud enough for me to hear quite blatant about it and for the first time in my voting life I felt really uncomfortable you know just the whole atmosphere there it was just like yeah it was horrible and do you yeah. I mean as as someone who's at the forefront of you speaking to people in the community with the sunlight mm. surgery that you do every week do you do you find that there are people that approach you that have had similar experiences like that in Medway yeah I, I think that and a range of things you know particularly because we so say we do a lot of work with Kent police and um, so we get told about other issues where people have been the victim of crime whether it's like um, hate crime and don't want to report it or they might witness an incident and don't want to come forward because of fear of retaliation or because of lack of trust and confidence. But I know that um, I think we're doing quite a lot of work with Kent Police to address those issues. Um, you know, we're quite forthright about it and say we know well about what they need to do. Because I think a lot of it is around training, because um, we used to be involved in recruitment and training of, of the police some years ago. And it's a shame that has stopped, you know, to a certain extent. Um, well, but, what yeah. do you think is the, is it an unconscious bias? Is that what... Is is that what it comes down to with with policing? I think it's conscious and unconscious, you know. So because um, it's, I did an exercise with um, some young people about about eleven years ago, where we were looking at um, the children's workforce and how they can engage with children and young people, and and it was labelled, um, you know, hard to reach, and they were saying, well, we're not actually hard to reach. It's just that we're here, just that they don't see us. So they re they reframed the exercise and we did an exercise on looking at stereotypes and the young people came up with these cards and one of them, it had like a silhouette of some people. You didn't know what age they were, but they had hoods on. And they did that because they said that very often you might be walking down the road and you'll see somebody with a hoodie or a tracksuit and people will have these sort of perceptions. And I remember when we were doing some training in the police years ago, and uh, one of them, you know, jumped up and says, I don't understand why I can't stop every, you know, black person coming out of Gillingham Station um, wearing certain things because they could be a yardie. And I says, well, I don't look at every white person and, and assume that they're a paedophile or you know, a rapist or whatever. So it's, it's about painting people with the same brush. And I think it's just about people being aware of their own conscious and unconscious bias. And it comes across in like body language as well. Um, so yeah, so I think there's still quite a lot to be done. And yeah. I mean, it, when it comes down to to that conversation as well, and uh, police officers wanting to to stop people and things like that, mm. it, it kind of it makes you think about um, so the the conference that that you were part of yes. last month, which was the yeah. point conference, which yes. was the whole point of that was yeah. uh, to to discuss knife crime and yes. to discuss workable solutions, but also to talk about mm. some of the um, misconceptions of knife crime. Oh, definitely, yeah, because I think. When I see stuff online, because I think, you know, I know Kent's report came, of F, um, the Kent News Group has reported a lot about some of the incidents. I mean, there was the the, the murder in Maidstone at the nightclub the other suspected week. Suspected murder, yeah. Suspected murder, yeah. So, um, 
and whenever there's a a, a report of, of knife crime in in the papers um and i see people's comments and they're saying oh you know it's because of all these black families coming down from london not all you know knife crime is is committed by people from any race any age any background but there is this perception that it is that it's black young people and it's black families coming down from London. Is that partly why you wanted Maka to be involved in, in, a, in a talk? There like was that? that as well, and I think to have the conversation that you know, because I think um, when you look at some of the responses to to violent crime, particularly around like gun and knife crime, it's been very London centric or Manchester centric or Birmingham. So people don't think that there's a problem in Kent, and I'm like, well, actually there is, because if there if there wasn't, we wouldn't be having this conference, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So, and I say it's better to have the conversation now when it's not so much, it's not a bigger problem as it is in some of the other cities, um, so that you can prevent it from escalating to that stage, really. Um, and I think we need to have more conversations about personal safety and uh, conflict resolution, because when you've got young people or anybody resulting to violence to resolve conflict, then we've got a problem. So whether it's knives or guns or physical acts of violence or whatever, we have a problem around how conflict is managed. And that starts a lot from in the home. It also, from what they see on the TV as well, it's an interesting debate um, recently over the, the new film, The Joker. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody put online today that, you know, do they think that it might lead to a rise in certain types of crime. I said, well, you could say that about any film. You, you remember the Rambo? You might be not old enough to remember Rambo. I've but seen d- it. I yeah. wasn't old enough when it came out, but yeah. I've seen it, yeah. But, you know, you look at Rambo, you look at all the diehard movies, you know, you look at a lot of the Western movies, the Cowboys um, movies that used to be out, you know, years ago. And that was how conflict was dealt with. You know, you shoot somebody, you blow up somebody, you know what I mean? You know, but they, but the the um, industry will make what sells. You know, having a movie with people sitting down, having a you know a conversation about their difficulties doesn't sell as much as blood and gore. So, and I I think it's about flipping the the script really and having um, different, having more positive images. So there there are films um, and there are songs where it, nobody has to die. You know what I mean? So yeah changing that and, yeah. and lastly carol so mm. you were at the at the knife crime conference there's a mm. lot of practitioners and academics there yes. um, and there was a couple of solutions suggested obviously yeah. kind of intensive mm. inverted commas there because you know yeah. can there be a true solution to it no um no. did did you come out of that thinking that there's kind of a plan been put forward here or is it just an ongoing debate i think it's an ongoing debate i mean certainly from our point of view um we want to continue having the discussions with with families i mean we had a, a session with um teachers in the afternoon and then with parents and parents um were you know quite rightly saying look i don't know what to do you know they um so what the police did which i thought was really helpful was they gave information about signs to look out for you know if, if your child comes home with you know new set of trainers or they're hanging out late or they even maybe like sort of fearful for going out you know um there are little things you, you can um look out for Obviously, you've got you know numbers like Crime Stoppers and whatever, but you know a lot of parents are fearful about you know looking under the pillow in their child's room, all those kinds of things. So I think it's important for parents to to know to get to know what you know who their circle, their children's circle of friends are, get them involved in safe activities, um, 
and have the conversation, uh, particularly around things like having a positive relationship with yourself first, having a positive, healthy relationship, loving yourself um, and being confident, you know, and knowing that there are people they can talk to, even if it isn't their, their mum or their dad, you know, an uncle or auntie, a youth worker or anyone to have a conversation about feeling safe. So, so that was quite nice to do. I think we want to, as I say, keep having the discussions, looking at, you know, some practical solutions, going into schools. I think more needs to be done in schools um, to, to talk to young people about personal safety. Well, yeah. Carol, you've given us a lot of the food for thought yes. there, so thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. The KM Community Podcast, bringing you stories from Kent's communities every week.